you're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Voices of Value, Rick Rushton here with my good friend Peter Kakos. Pete, welcome. Rick, great to be here. Thank you. We've got another first, a first of the first. We've got our first futurist that we're going to interview on Voices of Value. Steve Sammartino is somebody who's well known to anybody who's been to any conference where your organisation wants you to think about what the future is going to look like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, a decade from now. We're very fortunate to have Steve with us. He is renowned as Australia's leading futurist. He's been somebody who is an authority on the disruption that's happening, not just in the real estate industry, Pete, but across all industries. He is a global thought leader in that space. Somebody who's uh, actually been a published author by Wiley for two great books. I think the first one, which is really important to sort of be aware of, is The Great Fragmentation. And I think that's really a book that talks about why the future of business is so small. But ultimately, the one we want to talk to him about today is the lessons that school forgot, how to hack your way through technology. He has a track record that dates back to the age of 10, where he wrote his first line of computer speak. When he was 12, Pete, he began his first startup. Can you believe that? An organic egg farm. This is a guy who's worked with Fortune 500. What was he doing for the first 12 years? I don't years, know. It sounds like sake. someone who's just really not committed to life. <laughs> but uh, I think the good news is he's somebody who the Fortune 500 companies would engage to give his insights to where the industries that they operate in are going. And he talks about the Fortune 250 companies because – you know, half of that list has been sort of, I guess, taken out of business by disruption in the last decade. So he's somebody who's an amazing thought leader on that and he's got so much to share with us. Steve, thanks so much for being a part of Voices of Value. Thanks so much, Rick. I just want to start, Steve. Talk to us. What is a futurist? <laughs> <laughs> Definition off the bat. Got a great answer for that because I get asked it quite frequently. So there's three things that I think are important to understanding the future. Uh, the first one is what doesn't change. And that's human behavior. Humans are running what I call a 200,000-year-old piece of software in our head, otherwise known as the human DNA. I call it the human OS, the human operating system. That doesn't change. Technology does change. And that's the new tools that we have. Technology is basically just tools. That's all it is. And so when we get new tools, we change the way we do things. And the third part of it is economics, right? And that's how people transact with each other. And economics doesn't necessarily have to have money associated with it. So it's those three things, anthropology, human behavior, technology, the tools, and the economics of how we transact and trade with each other. You look at those three things and if you study them well, you can understand what's going to happen. Now, here's the thing. I can predict what's going to happen. I can't predict who the winners will be. Right. And why is and, that? And, that, and that's a really interesting thing because – the winners depend on who embraces the technology, but the trajectory of where it's going to go is really, really clear. Mm. And in fact, it's if you go way back to Buckminster Fuller and you know, many of the science fiction authors, it's really clear on where things were going to go because yep. technology has patterns yep. that are almost unavoidable. They're almost kind of like laws of nature and human behavior doesn't change much at all. So you put those two things Together, you can see where that'll go. The economic side of it is yeah. who wins in those transactions and who adapts better. We, we don't know that. We don't know who the winner's going to be. But we can sort of say, well, technology will go in this direction. These industries will get replaced. 
like the coal industry, that, mm. that'll get replaced. That's That game's it's already game, set, and match. Yep. But we don't know who will win in solar or renewables necessarily. Yeah, right. Yep. So that's that's what a futurist does. You look at social patterns, technology, and economics. Steve, we love stories here on Voices of Value. What, what are some of the industries or some of the businesses that have been most affected in most recent times? The really big ones are those that relied on paper. Right. And it's interesting that we talk about real estate. So uh, Fairfax, traditional newspapers that had their rivers of gold, which was the classifieds, that was really low-hanging fruit. And it was really easy to see that that stuff would go online. I mean, it was, it was really, really easy to see. And uh, we had Fairfax is, is an interesting one where they invested in new machinery uh, in their plants in uh, Chalora and Tullamarine and they sold those five years after they were commissioned for a $180 million loss because what they loved was their infrastructure and their business system and what they forgot to love was where their consumers and their customers were going, which was online. So uh, we've seen the music industry, uh, newspapers, uh, media. uh, They're the main ones that we've seen in the short term, but this is really just the start of the start. Another one was classic was Yellow Pages. I mean, think about it. Google's really just Yellow Pages. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. I heard you had an interesting – I saw one of your talks and you were talking about iTunes. Yes. Do you want to elaborate on? Yeah, so the pace of change is so quick now that the disruptors are being disrupted themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Lovely. No, no, seriously. That's, that, a that's great what's happening. Isn't it? That's yeah. so good. And, and and so iTunes came in just after we had the music industry push and close down Napster and LimeWire and all these people who were downloading and stealing music. Yeah. But technology's kind of like water. It finds the leaks. If people want to behave in a certain way and download music, you can be there just trying to sandbag up the tide. It's just it's just not going to happen, yeah. right? And that's the technology. It almost has its own agenda. And so iTunes came to the conclusion that, well, if people want to download music, what we'll do is we'll allow them to do that. But there's no way we can charge $30 for downloading music. So they did really well and said, look, we're going to give you a dollar per song. You can download. And they legalized you know, the downloading music through MP3s. But then what happened was they had a system that they loved. Apple loved this system. It's like fantastic. We get 30% of all the revenue we get selling songs and albums online. And then as technology got better and we got more and more data on our phones, streaming started. Mm. So then iTunes is in double-digit decline and all of a sudden we moved to Spotify and other streaming services and Google Play. And instead of buying music we went another step again where we just go well we just got this library i just want to listen to the song i don't need to own it i just want to hear it Mm. on demand why buy it i'll just give you ten dollars a month and i can have the world's music library so then apple had to pivot really quickly and start with apple music because itunes was being uh disrupted so we had a new industry and a new dominator that was at the helm for less than eight years, mm. right? You had, if you think about music, we had medieval minstrels for a few thousand years. <laughs> then after that, we had uh, the phonograph and LPs. That was kind of like a hundred years. Yep. Then you had, you know, tapes was kind of like, you know, 20, 30 years. CDs was sort of 20 years. 
downloading MP3s is about 10 years and now it's just streaming. So they're getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Business cycles are getting shorter. Mm. Yeah. And it was a big dream, wasn't it, to get the first record you bought, the yep. first LP? <laughs> it was. You want to get a 33 or a 45. <laughs> you can save 45. up your pocket money to That's get it, down to brushes. You yeah. know what you did as well, which is really funny? The, the, the record industry knew this, that you bought an album based on two or three songs you loved on the radio. And because you invested your 30 bucks, you thought, I don't give a shit how crap this album is. I'm going to listen to it until I like it. It's like your parents making you eat broccoli until you like it. You used to do that with your albums because you go, I've laid out my 30 bucks. I'm going to I'm gonna just invest in this music. And these days it's like, nah, don't like it. Next, next. And, and there's a really interesting business insight in that is that when the barriers to entry are high and exit are high, people will tolerate a suboptimal service. But when the switching costs are low, we can go to the next thing. Mm. So you just jump ship. And so just getting back to this technology thing, the number one thing I hear all the time is people are just fearful that technology is going to take their job. If you think about you know, your space, when people want you to speak at a conference, I think what they want you to say to the people sitting in the audience is you'll be okay. <laughs> That's what they, they want but, me to hold their sense. Everything's going to be okay, all right. <laughs> but, uh, and you know, we've got obviously an election coming up this sort of weekend. So you know, this will be out uh, before the election. You know, Both parties are talking about that tech prop space. They're talking about a whole heap of things that are going on. Where do you sort of, um, yeah, what, are the, what are the hacks, if you will, about you know, technology taking away someone's value in the marketplace? So I'm going to give bad news first and then good news. The bad news is, is that there's not many bison hunters in the world anymore. Yep. Right? <laughs> right. No, and, 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 and it's easy to forget that uh, jobs change. They just do. There are jobs that just go away. Uh, the good news is that new ones replace them and you've got to work at it. So very often a job doesn't go away in totality. What happens is tasks disappear and new tasks come in. Think of an accountant years ago, they had big ledger sheets and pencils and papers and the same with architects. Then they use computer uh, assisted design and spreadsheets and so on and they adapt the way they do their job. That's going to continue to happen. I don't think that many jobs will disappear totally. There's a percentage that will. Uh, I think a lot of the fears that have been put through the World Economic Forum that 40% of jobs will go away are, are going to be unfounded. Yeah. Uh, and some of those reports were like by 2020, X million jobs, well, we're a year away and it hasn't happened. Yeah, right. right? right. So I don't think that's going to happen. But here's what you do have to do. You have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. You have to learn the new skills. You have to learn to use the software. You have to learn to interact in the world the way it's going to go because you don't have a choice. No. You can say, oh, woe is me. I wish the world was going to be this way. Well, you have to invest in yourself. And in the last 50 years, we've become so wealthy that we've got lazy and we just put our hand up and say, hey, I want my coal job back. Mm. I want to do what I always did. But Mm. you know what? It's only in the last 50 years we've had that. You know, before industrialization, if you didn't adapt, you would starve to death. It is over. And we've just forgotten the lessons of history that humans crossed oceans, went to new countries, learnt new skills, to look after themselves and their family. And you know what? It's up to us. Now, that would be unfair if you couldn't learn something, but you've got all the world's resources at your disposal yep. for free where you can learn anything. And here's what most people do. They watch MasterChef. Yep. <laughs> and the Mystery Box Challenge. We all get right. the same ingredients. And so they watch Gogglebox. They yeah. watch people watching TV. Yeah, like, give scary. me a break. Like, you know, I, I would feel sorry for people if they didn't have the opportunity. But A, I know that anyone who is smart enough to speak language is smart enough to to learn new skills. Yep. And B, if you're connected to the internet, you've got all the opportunity you need. Everything at the speed of click, isn't it? You've That's got it. all the you know, you've we got, 
you've done a TED talk, and you know it's been you know a pretty global sort of viewing. And it's uh, anything you want online, just at the speed of click, you just pop in. I want to get more adaptable. I want to be more influential. I want to be a better communicator. I want to be a better leader. You just whack it in at the speed of click and get back ten TED talks that might last in totality two or three hours. We can get all the concepts, fundamentals at the speed of click, and and at your disposal. Never before in human history, ever. Have we been able to tap into the world's greatest thinkers on a particular topic and get that information downloaded directly? That's never happened, Mm. ever, in the history of humanity. It's like if you would just invest half an hour a day in yourself, half an hour a day, at the end of the year you're in the top 1% because people aren't doing it. So, Steve, you're a big podcast listener. and So what sort of learning do you do yourself and what sort of research are you doing yourself? Yeah, so – I really like to listen to heavy science and a lot of read a lot of the white papers that come out of the universities. The art of what I do isn't just about commenting on what's happening in industry. It's actually looking at what technology is going to come next that actually hasn't been commercialized. So I tend to read a lot of the stuff in Science Daily and um, a lot of the white papers that come out. Um, and then I've got a few curators people who I follow and I know that by following these people, anything that important happens, it's going to drop in there. So, uh, you know, I I follow Ray Kurzweil's work pretty closely, uh, Corey Doctorow and a few of these sort of tech luminaries who are really deep in that research side of it and then that enables me to just sort of see what's next and then marry that up with, you know, economics because I'm an economist by trade. So, um marry that up with what's happening economically and socially with the stuff that I see in the wider world. So I tend to do that. And the one thing that I try not to do is read too many articles online because I don't think you get the depth. Like I I try and make a point of reading on paper because it separates me and puts my mind in the space it needs to be in. It's kind of like when you go for a run or you go to the gym or you're playing football, you're just doing that. But we've got this really bad habit where we're watching TV and we're scrolling online when we're half reading an article and we're doing and we're doing 10 things at once. And what happens is our human brain isn't designed to do that. Yeah. And it takes quite an amount of discipline. So I try and make sure I read magazines, long-form articles, white papers and books, the physical hardcover book, so that I get inside the idea and not just read the words that they're telling me, but give my imagination space to explore that in my own mind with my own personal experience. Mm, put your filter on it. And then yeah. you take the concepts and put it into your blog, which has yep. got 30,000 sort of people uh, reading you yep. each week. Yep. Um, you know, so your ability to capture the complexity from here and then make it simplistic that people can bring it into play. So how do people align with you and your blog and get that sort of information? Yeah, so just if you go to stevesamatino.com, I do a post you know, usually about once a week. Yeah. I did one this morning on why Uber is a terrible investment for anyone who doesn't already own Uber shares. Uh, And I'll just uh, take a topic and break it down so that people can understand how this technology is permeating out in our society or what are the financial implications or what are the personal implications for you. So I'll just, you know, pick a topic of the week, but break it down in a way that you go, oh, okay, I see the angles of this now. Now I'm getting some depth because what we've got now is this really thin layer of information. Yeah. You know, we live in this headline culture where it's clickbait and it's get someone to look at something and there's a, it's almost like we're all just floating thinly atop, mm. you know, above, above the ocean with, and there's not enough depth in what we do. So what I try and do is I try and go deep. And, and let people think with some depth because I, I, I think that um, that's been lost a little bit. And it's not for everyone, right? This is for the, the few that get it, right? Yeah. And if you, you want to come on board, then just to, you can sign up on my, on my blog at stevesamatana.com and 
I'll put something in your inbox that makes you think. We'll make sure there's a link to that. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about Uber because it's um, geez, very they took, topical. They took very topical and also took the world by storm when they came in and all of a sudden then the Airbnb and everything like that sort of started to filter through. But Uber was the biggie. For me, I was at a conference um, – uh, and um, a, a real estate conference over in San Francisco. Never forget this. A few years ago, and I've walked out the front to to jump in a cab, and there was a line of about thirty people. And I said, "Okay, this must be the cab line." And then I can see some just up the street. There's a line of about thirty or forty cabs. So I tapped the person in front of me and said, "Is this the the cab line? Where, where are the are the cabs not coming down? Do we have to signal them, or can someone wave or do something?" And I said, "No, no, no. This is the Uber line." But there's like 30 cabs just up there waiting. Like <laughs> empty See that for there? people. See that there? That's for me, that's really interesting. And this is my perspective in the way I look at technology. That there is a lack of intelligence on the people waiting in the Uber line. Unless there was some financial advantage in them getting the Uber, which they may well have been because they undercut, I would have went straight for the taxi line. And this is what I call invention timelines distorting relative utility. Now, just let everyone digest that. Just because something became okay, <laughs> more invention <laughs> timelines distort relative utility. Because something is newer, people think it's automatically better. And yep. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's the case and often it's the case, but not always. Mm. And what we need to do is have the intelligence to delineate which choices are best for us, mm. not which thing came more recently doesn't we necessarily are make a shiny thing. Of course we are, yeah. right? Yeah. We are. And so I would have just jumped in the cab line there. But um, look, the the Uber thing is really interesting. And do you want me to break down the, the business oh, implications I'm just, of as, it? Or? Yeah, yeah, but particularly where you think it's going now. Okay, yeah. So Because I know it's already getting – it is getting it is getting disrupted it's right global. now. Mm. Yeah, well, so <laughs> Uber went public last week. Uh, they had a valuation of $82 billion US dollars and the shares came in at – $45 a share. They lost 7% on their first day of trade and a further 11% on last night. Uh, I think Uber will never make a profit. I think that the people who've made the money have done so at the expense of regulation and taxi. I love the service, so let me just be clear. Mm, this is a mm. great business for consumers, yep. a terrible business for investors. Yep. And not always is a great Outcome for consumers, a great financial outcome for people investing sure. in it. Yeah. So Uber loses $10 for every $30 they take in. And the reason they do that is they want to monopolize the markets they're in and outprice their competitors mm. and provide a better service. But there's really low barriers to entry. Mm. There's a number of competitors already coming in the space, yep. Ola and DD and Lyft. And, Lyft. and there's, there's only a matter of time before the uh, taxi drivers themselves go, well, why are we even giving 30% to Uber? Why don't we just get, you know, Uber driver incorporated, whatever, you know, mm. just get their own piece of software and get a pool of software drivers for 1% of their revenue to develop. Yeah, it's a really low complex app. It's not high complexity. Mm. All I'll, it is is matching and geolocating. It's pretty simple stuff. Yeah. I was in Uber yesterday and the Uber driver was telling me about Didi yep. and how much better it was. There you go. That's what I'm saying. I, 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 th this is why I'm so fascinated right now with with his Uber story because it's like, wow, yeah, this is starting to happen. And if you notice that some Ubers you get in are just not quite right. The Ubers we jumped in day one were the cleanest, the most friendliest drivers, the mints, the waters and that. <laughs> right. Some Ubers now are just NQR. They're yeah. just not quite right. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's here's the thing is that it's a really – Low-paid job. It's yeah. got high capital expenditure. Uber's taken all the upside. There's very little upside that's shared with the drivers. And I just see that 
you know, the idea of cars on demand is a good idea and it won't go away, but the business model that Uber has it, it, it won't work. Mm. And it just talking won't about work. cars, it's, it's a good segue to you built a car that ran on air. I did. Um, half a million pieces of Lego is my understanding. <laughs> it was just a, it was a hacker project and, gee, it got some attention. So, yeah, just an experiment. Um, built a car out so of Lego. Nothing much to do. Had plenty of time on your hands. <laughs> Look, you know, when you have very few friends, you might have heard at the start of this. You know, I wrote my first lines of code when I'm 10 years of age. Translation, not a friend for the first 20 years of my life. I'm hearing capital nerd. but Yeah, uh, capital nerd. Yeah. So, um, but me and just, it, just pausing there for a second yeah. though, but it, it's interesting because you are – I don't like to use the word judge, but let's use it. Um, you, you were by teachers um, rather harshly. Yes. yes, that's true. It's in my book, actually. I've got my school report yeah. in my latest book to show that you don't have to go. They were, they, Unless you they, want to be a doctor, you know, school is, has important they things didn't in it. They did punches, did they, those nah, teachers? Steve Sammartino, yeah, they didn't like me much at all. But you know what? I, I, I Just something in me, I always want to challenge authority yeah. uh, and challenge authority for reason, not just to be naughty for the sake of it, but to yeah. say, well, wait a minute, you, so you say rebelling. this. You, you just yeah, want to- I want to say, well, wait a minute, let's, let's go through this. Yeah. You're saying this, but it doesn't weigh up with- this other argument on this side and yep. school is was historically maybe not so much now but certainly then it was a place where you get told what to do your job is to rote learn it and then uh to spit that out to show that you can then be responsible and told what you do when you get into the workforce that's what school was designed around mm. you're and so yeah, yeah. But you're a little bit unique because the computer software language is very left brain analytical but you're very right brain creative you decided to take on nasa and put something up into space as well like did, you did that you yeah. launched a lego rocket I yeah mean, so well here's what that happened first so uh, i met this kid on the internet who was a reader of my blog really yeah. smart engineering self-taught in romania yep and he wanted to do this space experiment. He wanted me to like, you know, give him 20 grand or something over the internet, like dodgy ass. Anyway, I got talking <laughs> to him. someone like that. No, seriously. <laughs> Uganda? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, well, this guy and I thought. This was yeah, legit. Yeah, let's, this is legit. Let's just give this stranger money on the internet. That's never not worked out. Let's go with that one, right? Mm. And uh, I got talking to him and he'd done all these interesting projects. And so we did this uh, weather balloon, you know, 1970s military industrial, you know, complex kind of project where we bought all these old materials off ebay probably illegal whatever who knows <laughs> and um and we put like a weather balloon actually into actual earth orbit we actually had to get experimental airspace to do it and everything we did it in germany and um we we got it orbiting the earth and filmed it with a gopro and put it up <laughs> online and did all of that <laughs> and then and then after that was was with him that we conspired to build a lego car with all let's build a lego car and this is really interesting because we didn't invent any of the ideas that we put together. No. And that's what the internet is about. It's yep. about taking someone else's idea. We just saw this little piston yep. of a two-piston engine on a Lego engine on YouTube. And we just made like a giant version of it yep. and put it into a car. And it's like a, a pneumatic engine. Pneumatics, are, it's a really old technology. It's using air to allow the pistons to move which is the same way combustion engines work, but they have explosions. Yeah. All you do is you have compressed air and then you let it into the engine and that pushes the pistons. And so we built the 500,000-piece Lego hot rod and drove it <laughs> down the mean streets of Melbourne. <laughs> just out just for fun. Out yeah. west. Yeah. Werribee. Kicking it old school down Werribee way. Kicking it old school. And, uh, oh, and uh, we did that. that. Mad yeah. Max? Is that where Mad Max got there? It was. And yeah. it was not far from there where we did it. And um, – yeah, and it, it blew up figuratively on the internet, me and, you know, tens of millions of views. Jay Leno rang me. He said, hey, Steve, it's a fantastic car you got there. We'll get you in Jay's garage. Come on, man. Like, I'm serious. The right. day after I did it, 
And he's like, we'll send it over, I'll buy it off you. I'm like, it'll fall apart. <laughs> Mate, it'll, you'll just get a pile of Lego land in the US. Jay, this is not going to help anyone. <laughs> I love but the bring concept. A camera crew but, out. Yeah, but just exactly right. And we'll, you know, put the check in the mail and we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Yeah. But uh, just, and just taking that a little bit further on, you're, we, we met at a conference. We got to speak together at a conference. That was, was great. I was so stoked, yeah. dude. I don't want to like, mate, but seriously, that was fun. It was fun. And um, I was listening to you talk to a bunch of real estate agents about what the home of the future is going to look like. And mm. I think that's a really good topic mm. for everybody listening because whilst we've got uh, a majority of our listeners and, and subscribers are real estate agents there's a lot that aren't but everyone goes home so what does the home of the future okay. look like so again this is the anthropology the history side of futurism coming in yep. so we've basically been living in caves for two hundred thousand years the only thing we did with the caves is instead of going in a cave then we worked out how to make bricks and, and stone and we just built stone and brick little caves like yep. you know that's that's basically what we've done the only thing that we've added to those in you know 200,000 years has been electricity and running water. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. that's all you've got. That's yeah. all they are. Like yeah. this is this is seriously, this is yeah. what we've got. Yeah. We're about to go through a really big revolution where the caves are going to change fundamentally for the first time in a long time. Um, houses are going to become giant computers. It sounds kind of crazy, but they're going to be computational cages that we live inside of. Wherever there's electricity, there's going to be a connection. The house is going to know everything that's inside it, including the people. And the house is going to almost breathe and understand what's happening inside of it to change its shape and the things that get delivered and taken from it based on what our needs are. Wow. So uh, we'll, be, we'll have AI in the walls like we have electricity in the walls. And here's what we've got to remember. The electricity wasn't always there. We put it there. Mm. And we're about to put artificial intelligence into our walls, into our white goods. So talk us through that about windows that you know, will mean you probably don't need to make a sea change. You can live <laughs> well, in the that's trees. It. Well, and- there's already a startup that exists in Silicon Valley that has 8K windows that are web-connected. And you look at that window and it's really hard, not quite, but really hard to tell whether or not you're looking at a Sydney Harbour view or not. Gee. Right. Real-time, 4K cameras, harbour view, what it looks like right now, changes its perspective as you walk. Incredible. And you can start selling houses in Parramatta with sea views. Who knew? Right? <laughs> it's like so you, what you get there is um, – and we've been doing that for a long time. What do you think a picture is on the wall, mm. a painting? Mm. It's ostensibly the same thing, mm. right? And so, again, our needs don't change. The tools we use to satisfy our needs. Why do I have that painting on the wall? Because it looks beautiful and it's that picture of this thing here. Why do I have a TV? Because I can be somewhere that I'm not. Mm. So all of a sudden I have a window that's web connected that becomes an interface in my kitchen while I'm doing the dishes and tells me the weather and reads me the news. And then when I'm relaxing later on, it's a, a view of Sydney Harbour or, you know, the Champs de Lycée or whatever. That's what it can be. But the implications, especially as we move into winter in southern Australia where it gets quite cold, you could actually have a window that's showing you Broadbeach. Right, exactly. You can can start to make your house be the fantasy of what you always wanted to be. And that's what we do. Mm. And we've been doing that for a really long time. So you'll talk to the walls. You know, uh, what we're seeing with Google Home and Alexa is the start. There's some privacy implications and I think we should touch on that at some point. Yeah. um, Because I don't think data is – the be all and end all of business that everyone thinks it is. Actually, yeah. data is going to become a liability rather than an asset, but we can talk about that later. But the house is basically going to become a, a big computer where it's going to be virtualized. 
Mm. And it's going to be far more efficient with electricity uh, because it'll only use what it needs and heat up corners that it needs and give you information as and when you need. The fridge will know what's in it. Things will be delivered via drone and drop straight into your fridge through the roof. Um, we'll have drone landing pads on the roof and we'll be taking to the skies. I actually think that it's more likely that we'll have drones flying people in the skies than autonomous cars in 10 years. And the reason is, is that when you go to the sky, you've got a clean slate. When you're dealing on roads, you've got to deal with ethical considerations and infrastructure considerations that aren't easy to solve. Mm. And so the house is going to have, you know, drone landing pads on it. Um, it's going to have automated deliveries. It's going to be all run on solar. Is this anywhere yet, these drone landing pads? Because that, that uh, makes I've, sense. I've seen a few of those yeah. um, in apartment buildings where they have a delivery pad on top for uh, deliveries of, of goods and services. But the drone landing pad, I'm doing one in my new house, which is going to have a drone that will have an E-Hung 184, which is a drone that flies people for about 200 kilometres. Uh, wow. And uh, it, all of the big companies are working on it, Airbus, uh, Boeing, Lilium, E-Hung, there's a number of drone manufacturers because they're basically the same stuff that's in your phone and your laptop. Mm. The mm. same batteries, the same technology, the same sensors. And this is what this revolution is. All of the digital information is now being put into every corner of our world. And so houses are going to go through a really, really radical shift. The good news is, is you can retrofit existing houses with a lot of this stuff. Mm. Think about you know, windows, walls, data, that can, that can be retrofitted. And there's going to be a whole lot of new trades. There's going to be trades that come out of this. You know, there's no such thing as an electrician or a plumber until we have running water in houses and electricity yeah, in houses, sure. right? And yeah. this is the whole jobs fear. Mm. You know, I'm going to, what are you? I'm an, a, data, a data installer. Yeah. What are you? I'm like a, a, you know, a, a tech window installer. I don't yeah. know what they're going to be called, but yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And that's cool. You touched on that privacy. Let's, let's go back there. Mm. What's, your, what's your thoughts on that? I think that um, the biggest problem right now in the world other than climate change is that we've given away our most private and personal information to a few uncaring large corporations who want to, I call it surveillance capitalism. They want to surveil us and make money out of us and take our most important and private data and commercialise it and I think it's really dangerous. People say, oh, look, we're just sharing photos and it's no big deal and, yeah, social relationships and they're just going to sell ads and make them more suited to us so the ads suit me. That's fine but data and privacy are really important and data security because once I've got a pacemaker that is connected to the internet, once I've got a car that is run by the internet and a house that is connected to the internet, all of a sudden it becomes really important mm. and we're just seeing the start of this. Mm. And so we need to take back our privacy right now uh, or we're going to have a very dystopian world mm. where uh, people control our personal lives and information in ways that we don't even understand. I mean, imagine if we're connected cognitively to the internet through a neural lace. Then all of a sudden I could be hacked and someone could make me do things that I think are my own choice that aren't. Mm. So talk us through that because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Sorry, getting a bit Star Trek. No, no, but it's, well, I mean, I Google it. Homes are everywhere and yeah, people right. are saying, you know, uh, what my parents' generation <clears> go, I'm a little bit concerned about who's, who's <clears> listening <throat> on that when, when I, and I go, no, no, you ask it something and then it goes searching for it and they're going, really? But in their mind, they're okay, thinking. so that's true and not true. Okay. I was in the um, all the News Limited papers on the weekend. I did an interview about this. They have wake words. Okay, Google, hey Siri, they're called wake words. In order to hear a wake word, what are you going to be listening to? 
Every word. Every word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> inside the terms and conditions, which I actually read the terms and conditions for a speech I did last week on surveillance capitalism uh, of Alexa, it's twenty one thousand three hundred and twenty three words. That's with one one link only. I only clicked on one link layer deep. It actually went ten links deep in many areas. And I think that if you went through all of them, it would be more than 200,000 words. And if you read all of the terms and conditions on Alexa, Siri, Google, Katana, uh, all of those, you'd probably be reading more than a million words, which is more than what you would read in a legal undergraduate degree. Wow. So what's your <laughs> so, what's your, so, right, and That puts it in perspective. And by the way, no one can understand it. No. Uh, so it does listen and it listens all the time and it says in those terms and conditions – uh, that we listen so that we can improve the service. And when they say listening, they don't just plug it into a machine. Coders sit down and listen and then look at what the sh- machine interpreted at and then say, now that's actually this and this. Now, you're anonymized, but it doesn't take much to de-anonymize data. Mm. So let me give you an example of how data gets de-anonymized. So the big call is that we don't know that it's Rick, we don't know that it's Steve, we don't, we don't know who it is, it's, so it's fine. So let's imagine this. When data gets hacked, it's on the black market forever. So let's imagine that with the MyGov Health, you know, the MyGov Health, yep, which yep. I hope you opted out of, I did. I think it's a great idea, poorly executed. Yes, I want the doctors to have all my health information, but they've got very insecure process, so I didn't sign up to it. Um, let's imagine I go to the doctor and on a particular day on the doctor, um, some really private health information that could have consequences for me or consequences for insurance, let's say, health insurance. And then the MyGovHealth gets hacked. And everyone goes, it's okay, it's anonymized. Mm. But let's imagine I took an Uber that day to the doctor, to that one singular location, and all you need is those two data points and you could see that it was me at that time, at that Uber, at that doctor, and they can overlap the two and de-anonymize the data straight away. They could know that it was me, that I had that disease, and that might stop me from getting health insurance. Yeah, wow. wow. So that's an, that's one. This is one example of yeah. a zillion examples, mm. and um, and so we just got to be careful because it isn't what the data is now; it's what it could be tomorrow. Yeah. So here's the here's the thing then, and this is what we want our listeners to be able to get from you. You're an expert in this area. Mm. How do we protect ourselves from that type of invasion, if that's the yeah. right terminology so, to use? The first thing you need to do is never ever log into anything with Google or Facebook on the websites when they want you to log in. Just use your own email. Okay. Right? That way you you don't let them cross-fertilize your data. Okay. Uh, the second thing is turn services off when you're not using them. Log out of the service. Log out of Facebook. Log out of whenever you're not using it. Otherwise, it's tracking you and everything. If you must use the voice-activated software, turn it on and then unplug it when you're not using it. Okay. Turn it on for the morning, for the news, the weather. Whatever. Don't just leave it plugged on yeah. all the time. So don't I leave mean, it in the background. Just yeah, don't leave it in the background. Plug it in when you want to use it. Yeah, got it. I yeah. mean, we've got to – you know what? Here's the thing. Laziness is a great business strategy. Yeah. And we all know that, right? <laughs> the question is, is what sort of a future do you want to have? And that means don't be lazy. Mm. It's really, it's really simple. I mean, this is really boring advice from a futurist, isn't it? No, but, does, but, but doesn't don't do- be lazy in life. Do that, do that extra thing that takes you all of three seconds. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, but does that to- defeat the purpose though of we got to plug in Alexa to actually talk to Alexa to get her to do something though? But it, well, it does defeat the purpose. And here's the, and this is where the question becomes really important. What's more important to you? That's the only question. Mm. That's the that's yep. the only question. Mm. What's more important to you? Privacy and security of your data. Or to save a couple of seconds. And that's why, look, 
I, I experiment with a lot of technologies. I'm an early adopter, but I'm also an early lever. Yeah. So I adopt it, use it, play with it, understand how it works, but I don't use much of it. No. You just want to get a handle on it. And I just I'm across it. it. I know how it works. I've yeah. used it. I'll, I'll muck around yeah. with it, and it's fantastic. Now, if all of that stuff was on a blockchain on with a data security that was great, then I think we actually can get to that. Yeah. And I think that we can have voice activation. And I think in the future, our data should be our asset mm. where we sell our data, not someone selling it on our behalf. Because mm. the way capitalism works is you take something that wasn't in the market and then you bring it into the market and price it and commoditize it. That's the way capitalism works. That's the way economies grow. And the way it normally happens is someone takes something without permission and without asking that the other person didn't know had value. I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. So when England colonized places around the world, they came and said, oh, land, yeah, we own it. They go, indigenous people around the world said, what do you mean owning land? No one can own land. They said, oh, yeah, 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 we actually can and they're like, we want to buy this off you or take it off you for three beads or whatever it is yep. that they tricked them with, right? And they said, oh, okay. And they didn't understand it because they viewed the land as something that is share, a shared resource and so on. And then, you know, the English colonialists put fences up and they said, you can't go there. They go, what do you mean you can't go there? And then they said, we've got this thing called gunpowder. Don't know if you've heard of it. Mm. And the tyranny that went on was basically someone taking land that no one – Indigenous people didn't understand that someone could take. The same happened with oil. Oh, this black stuff in the ground, turns out you can burn it for, and it's useful for all of these things, for cars and factories and so on. We're just taking it. What do you mean taking it? Well, whose is it? It's ours. We dug it up. So we're just taking it. And now with data, oh, we're just taking your data. What do you mean data? We didn't even understand. We just click yes on the terms and conditions. Oh, that's got value. What do you mean it's got value? It's just sharing a photo. It's got, well, we're just taking it. Mm. Now, we let them just take it unless we put our hand up and say, wait a minute, that's got value, it's ours, we want it back. Now, the difference is that data is actually the first thing that was really, really personal. The other thing was shared resources, but data is yours. And I think that data will move from being an asset to a liability and companies that own or control your data will have to give you interest on it or share the revenue with it and actually have consequences if they misuse or lose your data in the same way that they would lose your money. Which so has happened a bit. Which has happened a bit, right? But there's no consequences now because there's no laws. And right. there's never laws on something no. that is new in technology because there's how lag. can you have a law for something yeah. that doesn't exist? So there's lag time. Then yeah. the lawmakers catch up and then now we're on to something else. <laughs> yeah. And, but here's where, how I reckon data might be used in the future. Let's say I have all of my data from all my social media and all the things that I do and what I do in my house and all my finances all in one bundle that I own and control on the blockchain. So it's cryptographically protected and I own it. I want to get a house. I'm going to buy a house. Uh, I'm starting to look with the real estate agents. Now, instead of me applying for a loan, I give a data key to all of the banks and they buy it off me for, let's say it's 500 bucks for the right to look at my data and I have a smart contract there, okay? The bank that ends up winning the loan gets refunded their $500 and the other banks execute against the smart contract when I actually sign a house and they give me the $500 for the right to look at my data to bid for my business. Now, why would the banks do that? Well, it's much cheaper than advertising to five million people hoping someone wants a home loan. Mm. I put a smart contract in place where you only pay me if I did get a home loan. That's how data That's can be clever. used. That is incredible. There it is. Uh, folks, I'm hoping you're taking some notes. It might be uh, an episode, we often say this, but this is one definitely that you might want to revisit just to hear some of the absolute gold and the gems that Steve is leaving us in terms of you know what's important now, today, where the shifts are coming, and most importantly, you know, seeing the transformation that's happening across the real estate industry, the financial industry, across all industries. 
Steve's coming back, Rick. I just want to put that out there right now. Um, <laughs> we're just going to. I just think we could we could speak for three hours here. Yeah, I think we've got enough to digest before you come back, Steve. Could you just commit to coming back? Maybe in a couple. percent I'm loving it, mate. I could go all there because I love this stuff and and real estate's one of my passions. You know, outside of this, and you know, one of the big things that I'm thinking is that technology for the first time in history is separating where work happens yep. and where work's needed. That's never happened before. No. And so I think there's going to be a real regional renaissance that no one saw coming. It's going to be huge. So I really mm. love talking about real estate's impact because where we live and what we do is that's everything. Everything else is just a it's a derivative of that. Yep. So yeah. I'd be, love to well, come back. Thanks for committing to be our regular guest. <laughs> Sorry, <yeah. laughs> the, last, the last thing I want to ask is um, you, when you go into – when you set passwords and so forth and then they give you uh, – would you want like to use this cr- password that we've created for you, strong yeah. password, or create your own? Yeah. To use that password and then have like your cha- – is that like your blockchain? Or is that what you were talking about? No, no, Are that's, they- a, that's, a, that's um, a security chain. That's different. A blockchain is a type of technology – that allows us to cryptographically protect data. That is, yeah, it's a that's okay. A, so a the security chain. Would discussion. you be best to set your own password? No, you'd be best you to use that. There's two things in in order of preference. Um, setting your own password is tough. They're hard to remember, and it's hard to get a good secure one. The ones that they suggest uh, that only appears on your laptop, so that's fine. No one else will see that, and, and they're usually good passwords. The problem, of course, is that they're very difficult to remember, and then you will have to record them somewhere, and, and that's difficult. Yeah. I think the best thing to do for your passwords is to have a, what they call a password manager. Uh, One Pass and Last Pass are two of them. They're, yep, yep, they're, they're really great, uh, and that's probably the best way to manage it. Mm. Gotcha. The guy who mm. produces our podcast, uh, Dominic, he has one of those uh, accounts because he quick has... Quick sing out there to just Dom. quick sing out there to Dom <laughs> and uh, he makes it sound perfect when uh, uh, we don't know what we're doing sometimes with cords and microphones and things of that nature. But Steve, I think it's fair to say that uh, this is a topic that we want to expand on and thank you for your commitment to come back and do that because what we're all about here is um, you know bringing some value content to our listeners and mm. uh, I think today has been invaluable in many respects and, you know, with all the news about technology, workspace, home space, identity theft, there's so much stuff here that you could realistically help our listeners with. I think that's important. And also, I'd love for you to expand on economics. I reckon economics is that. Well, it's a quite a dry subject. So I've heard a little. I've heard you speak a little bit on economics, and I think it's just a fascinating thing. And um, you know, it's probably it's probably a fair bit to talk about. You know, um, with, uh, with 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 governments and, and elections yeah. and everything like that that's going on. So um, it's 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 interesting times, and it's 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 somewhat scary times for a lot of people as well. So to to be around and, and get a bit clearer and understanding from someone like yourself steve it's um yeah it's a real pleasure to just to hear your passion and your insights um you're a bloody smart bloke yeah (laughs) and uh, despite what your teachers thought and i think that the you know the future is very fearful for those that don't have all the information at hand but we've got a great information resource here in steve samartino you can connect with him at stevesamartino.com it's very simple we'll have the link uh at the actual uh, on the podcast i should say and uh, i'd strongly suggest you jump on youtube have a listen to some of uh, uh you know steve's work and watch some of his talks and yeah we, we we got into a few really i think we just 
really just touched the surface today, Pete. There's so much more content there that we can get. Absolutely. So yeah. with Steve's commitment there, we're going to take him up on the opportunity to have him back. And if you've uh, enjoyed this particular podcast, please make sure that you not only just share it with your colleagues and friends and family, but also rate it for us because that's what gets us into more earpieces and that's what gets us you know, into more communities is sharing a great voice like this, someone who is paid exorbitant fees to speak at conferences, but will be available <laughs> at the Voices of Value rates. So if you're someone looking for a great keynote speaker in your relevant industry moving forward in 2019 as we race to 2020, you could do a lot worse than connect with Steve. So if you go direct to Steve, you probably save on the agency bureau fees, which are uh, probably astronomical, Steve, if the truth be known. But I, I, I can actually honestly say I saw Steve speak for the first time uh, literally you know, two and a half months ago, and I knew straight away that I was in the presence of greatness. So when you're around someone like that, you do two things. You take the notes and you make them a friend. And I'm very fortunate to sort of be able to call on this opportunity to share his expertise with our community. Steve, thank you so much for being a part of it. And we look forward to welcoming you back in the near future. Real honor, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you all next week. Voices of Value. Thanks for tuning in. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com. And we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way. Listener.